We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to that might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. One of the things you, you were talking about, three things a woman can expect from a man. Yeah, yeah. What is that? Uh, what are they? Okay. So, the, as I've put it in the bit, it's a good dick, <laughs> good person, and got his shit together. And it's like, you're going to have to pick two of those three. <laughs> you can't get three. You can't get all three. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. Come on, what do you? Who do you think you're dealing with? <laughs> Either to expect all three. <laughs> Josh Johnson is an hysterical comedian who's got a comedy album coming out called Hashtag that's presented by Trevor Noah after they went out on tour together and became best friends. Josh is hysterical, and to hear him wax about what it is to be a comedian is really fascinating. It's my man Josh Johnson on Torre Show. Can we talk about being 30 for a second? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm 32, so it's like... It's a <laughs> so you've been 30 bit. for a long time. I've been 30 for a while. Yeah. But it's a shift because there was yeah. a long period of time when you were yeah. crushing it in your 20s. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, young comedian. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. And now, right, like you said, when you get to be 30, you're yeah. not like young anymore. Yeah. Now, now you have to be good or there's no adjective in front of your name. That, like once you hit 30, you're just comedian. So now are you very funny? Are you like really good or are you like, oh, he's alive? You know what I mean? So that's that's all. He's still breathing. That's that's all I want is to continue to like leave an impression, you know, like no matter no matter what I'm doing, because um, I, I have a lot of things that I plan to be doing even like a year from now. Some of them have nothing to do with comedy, you know, so it's like I've been working on like writing more music and producing more music and stuff and just 
even even like yesterday to to your point about ideas i was like man there's this glove that i want to make and i think it would be the do- i think it would be the dopest glove and so it's it's one of those things as well where that's the other thing when you're when you're like young and you're in your 20s or something your dream and how to get there all those things are like the main primary focus and then it, a little bit even towards my like the end of my 20s i was realizing that there's just so many roads to get to the same place like there's an interstate of ideas and there's an interweb of of <laughs> destination so now i'm like man look just in case just in case things aren't like popping with comedy like i'm still making good stuff people still roll with me and everything but just in case the tickets aren't selling the way i want this glove might do it for me <laughs> this glove might be the money you know i could make a lot of money with a glove but but we know you we love you for the comedy mm-hmm. how do you continue to get better as a comedian i mean i think that for the most part there's there's the initial like if you if you even follow the catalog that I've been working on making so far, you know, when you get to the first album of, uh, I like you, that's, I like that. I had, I had a great time making it and I think it's very important and it did very well as far as like streams, plays, all uh, downloads, all that stuff. But that in that piece, what you see is just me being like funny in a way that's like, I, here's me proving to you, I can write jokes. Right. Right. But then I think that with elusive and with hashtag and the things that I'm continuing to make, I think I'm showing people that there's a bit more depth and thought that goes into what I make and everything. And then that's also how you um, get better in a sense. Like you look at Carlin, you look at Pryor, what both of them did before they did anything else, even though they didn't like this stage of their career, they were like these squeaky clean dudes who were just proving that they were incredible joke writers. Sure. Yeah. Once they left that behind and they got very interpersonal and they and they spoke very freely and they spoke with depth, that's when they reached that great status. Yeah. And so I'm not saying everyone has to do that. Everyone's going to have a favorite type of comedian and they're in my opinion are as many genres of comedy as there are music. There's there's so many different types of comedians out there that that to be great is going to require different things from the track that you're on. Okay. But I think that for me personally, being a bit more um, open with people is also something that opens up the relatability, which opens up my attempt at being universal, which I think makes me greater than I was the year before. I mean, you get a little older, heartbreaks, yeah, life knock you around a little bit. Yeah. You can probably tell better jokes when you've had a little more life experience, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely the the notion that people have and it's not incorrect. Like when I talk to people who started when they were like 17, 16 or something, I started when I was what? 22, you know? And there's a part of me that envies that amount of stage time where even if I wasn't talking about anything, because that's what they say. They're like, yeah, I was 17, so I wasn't really talking about anything. I didn't have any, like, real problems that I could connect with people on or anything. I'm still like, yeah, but you got to a level where you were so deeply comfortable being in front of people that as soon as you had something to talk about, you were able to deliver it in a way where, you know, I think I've – it's not a race, but I think in those ways, I feel caught up to some of my peers that started a little bit earlier. As far as like 
the level of comfortability I have in front of people and everything. But I think that it was a challenge to both learn how to break the nugget, like how to distill an idea and how to present it in front of people in, a, in a, all in real time. And that's something that I'm very appreciative that I can do. Yeah. But, you know, there's, it's, it's tough to not want to like hop in a time machine and go back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you still love doing it? Very much. Yeah. This is the thing that I think I was made to do alongside the other things that I feel creative with. Like, I, I very much enjoy working on music. I very much enjoy the, I'm telling you, man, I was, I'll send you one when we finish it. This glove. Oof. <laughs> what, would, what, glove. what would be funny is if you hate the glove. It would be very funny if I sent you the glove and you're looking at him and you're like, this is trash. This is like <laughs> terrible. It's just like a glove. But I love it. It's, it's, you, you'll see. You'll see. For like. Oh, like, it's, it's for wearing. No, of course it's for wearing. But it's, being, it's, but it's, like, it's not like, a smart glove. I'm not like. Stylish. Bring, it's stylish. Like yes. isotoner, like keep your hands warm. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think that alongside the other things that I very much enjoy, that I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I have um, both the creativity and the drive to do, comedy is, is number one, man. I, I don't know if there's a thing that I can contribute to the world that makes people as happy as what I do with comedy. You know, there's there's... Even even with music, even with there are people that are doing it in a way that I sometimes have to just, especially it comes with age, sometimes you just bow out of certain mastery. So someone will get so good at something and someone will show you a side of something that you actually know that you don't have the patience to crack in the decade that they've been working on it, whatever. And I think that there are certain things where I'm like, hey, I want to work with you because I think that you're the best. But as far as le reaching your level of, like, acumen, I'm not, nah. <laughs> Whereas with comedy, I'm like, I want to get better all the time. I love being around great comedians because I love how they think, whether it's on or off stage. And I think that it's, it's one of those things where to, to love it is to love it more, you know? Like, I don't think that you fall in love with comedy, whether you're a fan just watching or you're a comedian or you're a writer, whatever. I think in the aspect of falling in love with it, outside of any industry thing, outside of any like troubles you can have with things that are gatekeepers to comedy, to the actual thing, the actual making comedy, making people laugh, the structure of jokes, I think once you fall in love with it and you start to get it, you just fall deeper. It's just it's just nonstop. It's like it is like music to me in that way where you you hear a new type of joke and it's almost like hearing a new note in your in your head. You hear a new sound and you're like, "Oh, what what can we do with that?" And and how does that how does that shape how I look at jokes now, you know? So you, I mean, you are enamored with the moment of being on stage and making yeah. people laugh and smile. And yeah, I think, I think that there's something very special about when you are making someone laugh outside of like, if you have a broken rib, you shouldn't, but like, <laughs> like when you make someone laugh at, in that moment, at least they feel no pain. There's no, there's no, there's no connection with whatever is holding them down, even well, if you're making them laugh about that. It's involuntary. 
Yeah. Right. I'm I'm not laughing because I should. I mean, obviously we fake laugh, but like mm-hmm. when you're competing, doing your thing, I lose control of my body mm-hmm. at that punchline moment. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I've I've kind of lost like I'm laughing so hard I can't even God, I saw um Michael Che at Caroline's, I think it was last year. Mm-hmm. And he was saying something about his, uh, I don't even want to repeat the joke because it was so fucked up. It was like in a line of jokes that was like, I really shouldn't say this, which of yeah. course the audience like, please say it. And yeah. then he said the punchline and I fell out of my chair. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you've like for a moment, like you really lost control. Of, I didn't hit the floor, yeah, but it was yeah. like, I, I feel like paralyzed by the laughter. This yeah. is so such a great punchline. Oh, absolutely. And it's also that thing of like, not only is it involuntary, but it's it's the only sense of release that some people get. Because if you did anything, if you said anything, if you if you had any attitude outside of a comedy club that you have in a comedy club, you'd be a lunatic. <laughs> Like, if, like if, if someone talked to you the way that your favorite set of jokes was, you'd be like, I can't hang out with you. <laughs> like, this is, you're, you're an unstable person, you know? But then, hey, there's a place, there's a temple that we go to where we all sit and we all know what's about to happen. Yeah. And we share maybe, maybe some of our most heinous thoughts through <laughs> an individual. So you don't have to get up there and be like, hey, I've always wondered, like, is it that bad? You know, like, you don't have to do any of that. Someone comes and does it for you. And it's a, it's such a deep release of, like, the power and the ability to, to mock power mm. and to, to also have a, a release of the things that we know aren't for everyone. Mm. Right? So there are some jokes where it's like, one of the reasons you don't say them outside of a comedy club is that they're not for mixed company. Right. Because there are some people that'll be like, yeah, I told you. Right. And you're like, oh, God, now you've ruined it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas when we all know that this this is here for fun and it's here because we need it, it's a very different feeling. And I think that that's why even when I'm at comedy clubs, even whether I'm you know at the cellar, the stand, New York Comedy Club, or if, if I'm on the road and I happen to do a spot and someone's like, hey, come to this place after your show. And it's just some, some like basement under a bar and, it, and it's just people gathered together. And, and it's one of the last senses of, uh, of like communion that I think people really get, mm. you know? Because with comedy, unlike with, straight music it doesn't have to it can obviously there are famous comedians everything but it doesn't have to all revolve around an individual you can go to the best comedy show of your life and it was a bunch of no names that were very funny sure very very funny yeah and and i think that as as inspired as a lot of music sets are I find that when I go to see, listen to music or when I go to see someone perform, I'm going to see at least, I at least know one person that brought me there. Yes. But with comedy, it's like, hey, come to this club. We promise you're going to have a good time. Come to this theater even. There's a theater show that's a showcase as part of a festival. We promise you're going to have a good time. I feel bad for comics because pretty much alone among major artist groups, you only get one shot. You can yeah. only do that joke 
that one time. Obviously, you yeah. go around the country doing it, but like yeah. you tell this joke or this set this season. Mm-hmm. And right, the Rolling Stones are still doing records from the 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Scorsese will put his movie from the 70s out and it's like, it's still great. We still yeah. watch it. You could tell, if I hear a joke from you once, mm-hmm. that was amazing. Yeah. You can't tell a joke again. Yeah, well, yeah, this, this is the weird thing. It depends on who you are and it depends on what the crowd wants from you specifically. Because when they get to know you, this, this is the weird thing. You're right 90% of the time. And every once in a while, someone will be like, you'll come up to you after the show and be like, I was really hoping you were going to do the thing from, you know, the, and it's like, even in my head, I'm like, why would I do that again? But they're like, no, because I, I told my friend about it and I messed it up. And that's why he came. He came to I see mean, you do the thing. And you're there's like, a long, involved story mm-hmm. that I can't really, that's so involved, I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm like. Tell me that story again. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, like a 5, 10, 15-minute yeah. story that Absolutely. I'm like, oh, I love, like, going through, and I know what's coming. and um, But, that, you know, that most people aren't doing stories. Most people aren't doing stories. And also, to your point, one thing that is very funny about, <laughs> as someone who's put out a lot of audio, and I really believe in, in comedy and in that audio fashion of like still making albums for people to listen to, sit back and laugh to, whether it's in the car, on commute, or just at home, whatever. I, as much as I believe in that, I also know that the number is going to be very different for me. Nobody listens to a joke on repeat. Right, Nobody right, said that right. like, oh, that callback. Yeah, you know I mean, like, <laughs> like that just doesn't happen. I will. Uh, Yes, although I'll do that for Chappelle. And I think certain oh, yeah, people yeah. will do it partly because his work is very complex. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, how did you get to there mm-hmm. from there? Because I didn't see it coming the first time. And I understand it of how you made that flow. I mean, I can't repeat anything from a Chappelle hour because you need the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And then also you need the... You need the second call back because then it doesn't hit the same right, as, you know. Right, right. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just think that it's, it's why I am also – it's also why I love comedians because to your point, if you have to travel the country every year and you can't really tell people the same thing every, every time, you have to <laughs> constantly be thinking of new things. You have to – to your ideas point, you have to keep having ideas. You have to keep having ideas. They have to keep being as good, if not better, than the ideas before. And so by the end of that, not even the end of a career, maybe just by like, you know, even five years of doing that, even though you haven't maybe reached some level of mastery, you're still working with a mind that is deeply, deeply interesting to me, you know? And yeah. that's, that's why another reason why there are some comics that make you love it again. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. 
Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Is Chappelle the best today to you? It's it's like this tough four horsemen, Ooh. right? Like four. Yeah. Who's the four? I'm. I mean, I think that Burr is really good. Bill Burr. Bill Burr. Um, still Chris Rock. Uh-huh. Because even though, like, people talk about layoffs and like, like time out of it and everything, but I think that if you never really stop thinking about it. It's it's kind of almost like, obviously, because a lot of comedians are frail, it's not the same thing, but it's almost like boxing, where it's like someone may have not had a fight for a very long time, but if they've just been training, they show up and they still knock people out, <laughs> just like they never left, right? Uh, Rock so, definitely looks at it like that. Yeah. I'm in training and I get sharp yeah. and I get up there and I'm crushing you because I know I'm sharp. And a, and a truly almost religious devotion to what he's trying to create, too. Yeah. So it's not as if he's like, eh, you know, I was bored at the house. So I thought I'd pop out and do a set. And Yo, like, a, you he know. had, I don't know if he has this now, but I know at one time it was like he had a mic and a stage in his house. Oh, jeez. So he could do a set, the whole thing, the walking, the, the, yeah. the in his house. I'm like, that is a religious devotion to the craft. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
That's wild. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's wild. So you got Burr, mm-hmm. Rock, Chappelle. Chappelle, and then I I feel like when we talk about what is, um, I guess, different, like like we're talking about, I'm, I, you know, fame and money aside and everything, if you're talking about what's like deeply, deeply creative and different, I think that Maria Bamford is like, wow, is like wildly, wildly, um, even though she's loved, I think she's still wildly underrated for what she creates. Interesting. Yeah. I think that there's, there's something to be said for like, here's a great joke writer. Here's like, here's someone with so much charisma and personality that I'll just, I'll just watch them straight for like an hour and a half without thinking about if I've if I've been like dying laughing or not, I'm just so enamored with what he's yeah. doing. And then here's someone who like <clears throat> takes takes his anger and makes his anger my anger, and then we commune together. And then here's a person that approaches both stand up and jokes and the thought processes of a of an individual into something that by the time she's done, I'm like, wow, that was that was wild. That was like that was unique, you know. So I, I think that in if you took the best special from each one of those individuals, Amazing. I think everyone has a hard time matching what they're doing. Uh, Marie is incredible. Her, she's funny. Her voice is very silly. Mm-hmm. I think she could read the phone book and it would be funny. Yeah. You have a great radio voice. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> yeah. not a funny voice. No, no, it's not right? hilarious it's, at it, all. It's not. Yeah. It's not typically what you would expect from a comedian. It it actually, uh, when it, before I was doing it full time, and I would tell people at the grocery store I did comedy, it would hurt my feelings how surprised they were. <laughs> They'd be so surprised. I was like, wow. I mean, there's a silliness that a lot of comics have just in their voice. Yeah. And your voice is so deep. Oh, yeah. And heavy and it's very sonorous. It sounds good. Oh, okay. But I appreciate it. It doesn't then say to me, and now I'm going to tell you a joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. (laughs) I think that now it's become um, a tool in that. I feel like when I start a set, a lot of people feel the way you feel. But then as soon as I hit the first joke, now we're in it in a way that I think having that rhythm and having a, uh, an approach to vocal control helps throughout the set build and slow down and, and um, temper people's expectations and then overwhelm them. And, you know, so I, I think that what used to be a huge a huge worry of mine because I wasn't that guy. So one of the things that I think you also, as you begin something, look around. You look around like your heroes. You look around your peers. And then you look around at people that are sort of in the middle. Um, and I think that when I started in Chicago, I didn't see a lot of people that – that I felt like, if that, if this makes sense, I didn't see a lot of people that I felt a similarity to, which at the time felt like, oh, 
Lord, then I don't know if I'm going to fit in or if I'm, and then as I kept doing it, I realized that that was a uniqueness that I, that I should cling to and, and, and figure out how to use, um, because it is an advantage. And so then there's a taking advantage of your advantage. And so then I, then I was sort of like off to the races after that, where I was like, oh, that's great that I'm not. I don't look like I'm copying anyone's style and I don't look like I'm being too much like someone else in anything. Because, uh, you know, you start out with such a deep insecurity sometimes <laughs> that you're like, oh, well, if no one's, if I'm not like anyone, I, I must be terrible. <laughs> and you probably are when you start, probably are terrible. Sure, sure, but sure. then you realize like, oh, no, that's for the best that you're you're only you. Are you... Some people are scared before they go out, and some people are fearless before they go out. Mm-hmm. What are you? I don't know if I'm ever one thing. Because I, I think that there have been times where I was like, yeah, this is this is so directly where I'm supposed to be that I feel very good and I'm ready to, like, release the, the whole thing um, of, like, everything that's pent up, whatever nerves or, you know, like all that energy feels great. And then, yeah, there have been some times where I'm like, I should have like been better at math or like, you know what I mean? Like what, whatever the <laughs> thing is before you start, well, just like there are some so times where, do this yeah, there are I'm some scared. times where I'm like, yeah, I'm, oh man, I'm really terrified. And like, I don't know if I'd feel like this if I was a doctor, you know? <laughs> I just have to be nervous in front of one person to give them bad news. But this is like, oh, God. And so then, especially as I've been doing it longer, now I'm not even, it's not even about the situation anymore. Now it's about what I'm about to say, if that makes sense. Uh Uh So initially, I had that with opportunistic things. So when I was in Chicago, there's not a ton of industry in Chicago. So when I was maybe auditioning for an agency or when I was, you know, whatever those things are, you get those nerves because you're like something, something could happen, you know? Mm. And then now, now I've also realized with time that the worst thing that could happen is nothing. (laughs) You know? Right. The worst thing is like, I call it like the passive yes, Mm -hmm. where they say yes but then nothing ever happens. Yeah. So then you get your hopes up and you're like, okay, we're going to work together. Yeah. They're going to represent me. They're going to hire me, whatever. And then just nothing happens. Yeah. Like, okay. So I can't, that, right? Did yeah. I, so I started, and I almost like, I parked my ambition for a second because it was like, okay, I'm not searching anymore. I have a place. I can, be, wait, where's the second phone call? Where's the next steps? It doesn't happen, and you're like, okay, so that was just a big nothing. Yeah, and so now, instead, I'm like, I'm more, am I going to convey this idea the right way? Mm. Am I like, even even sometimes when I'm doing my podcast, like, I'll be, I, I won't be nervous, because it's just me talking to my buddy, and we just are telling each other stories and stuff, but I'm like, okay, because, it, especially with the podcast, you have one chance, even though this is your friend and everything, you have one chance to tell this story in a way that is fresh, that makes both of you laugh, that's like, you like, remember all the details, make sure everything is like, 
exactly as you remember it and everything because there's no we don't redo takes. It's like if I if I mess up the story, I'm just like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention the thing. And then, <laughs> it's kind yeah, of I mean, and then then we're and so I think now it it also feels like an elevation because I'm I'm only um, nervous about what I'm creating. I'm not nervous anymore about circumstance. What is a black person's responsibility within comedy? Because there's a tremendous history before mm-hmm. you that has paved the road for you and lifted you up to where you have these opportunities. And yeah. I mean, this is a really special arena for black people in that for decades, we could say things in comedy that you couldn't necessarily say in any other space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people really help sort of nudge different ideas forward because they were doing it in a comedic way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of folks who came before you. Mm-hmm. you know, who, who, who gave you this opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's the responsibility of probably every black creative to move as best as they see fit. I think that there, it's very important for us to lift each other up. It's very important for us to help each other. Um, but I also think that the thing that might undercut a lot of, um, creativity and even some success is feeling as if there's a way that we have to behave and carry ourselves that doesn't apply to any other creative. You know, I think that I have, when I take, when I speak of myself specifically, I think that I have a responsibility to uh, let especially black creatives know that they're not alone, that there's there's an avenue for them, especially if they're like, because I wasn't even the funny kid growing up. I was just the weird kid, you know? I was just odd. And so I think that one of the best things I can do outside of like lifting up my peers and like putting their names out there and everything of people that I think are great, I also think that for the people who may not even be wanting to do comedy, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to necessarily make people um, just into what I do, I very much want people to become fans of whatever they make, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of, like, people that I meet, like, like all the time. Someone even will just draw a picture. I'll be like, that's dope. Because what, because what people don't hear enough, especially, I think, black creatives, is that, like, that's, look, I know you may not have the money, you may not have the funding or anything. I know you need to get the capital for the project, whatever. But just so you know... This thing will never not be amazing. This mm. is dope, mm. right? And I think a lot of people don't get enough of that. Like, especially on social, a lot of social is people tearing each other down or people like, you know, flexing on each other and everything. And I think that what I've tried to cultivate, especially with the community that I'm trying to build through the podcast, through comedy, through everything, is people who are just supportive of each other. Do the gloves. You know? Do the gloves. <laughs> The gloves are covered by that. <laughs> so Trevor Noah has, what, how do we say it, co-signed you or he's sure, yeah. sponsoring or sure. sp- sponsored, maybe not the right word. but Yeah, sp- sponsored sounds like he's been <laughs> donating 80 cents a day <laughs> for me to have a comedy career. <laughs> He'll donate a callback here Yeah, it's, it's much more than 80 cents, but yeah. <laughs> but he's... 
standing beside you, right? Sure, in, his, yeah. in your new stand-up, which mm-hmm. just, you know, shines the light on you even more. But how does that even happen that, you know, Trevor Noah mm-hmm. says, I mean, I'm sure everybody in the world knows your name, right? We've been my, doing it for a while. I mean, like, my name? Yeah, like, oh, Tre- okay. like everybody like a Trevor Noah would know who you are because you've been in this world for oh, a while. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I think that, some some things do happen uh, pretty organically, no matter how calculated that uh, you know I try to ble- try to be, and and how much I try to p- plan ahead as far as moves or projects, or even to your point uh, before, like ambition and everything. Some things are just a blessing, like some things genuinely come to you, and they're a gift, and they're an opportunity, and then you take it and you do your best, and then you you reap those benefits, you know? So uh, I think that I can, I can sit back and try to act all like, uh, uh, like brilliant, like just, oh, my, my comedy bravado was just so much so that I was undeniable. And of mm-hmm. course, somebody, but no, it, it was someone who I worked with for a little while who was like, come on tour with me. And so we did the tour and everything. And then in the midst of the tour, um, you know, decided to, be a like co-producer for the special that I had coming out with Comedy Central. Is, is that so is Trevor himself saying I've seen Josh I like him I want him to come on tour with me or is it somebody else who's saying this makes sense? Uh I'd like to believe it's him, you know? Like <laughs> you're not entirely like, sure. I'm not I well I'm it's also probably him. I'm also not the man's mind. Like I well, I'm just well, you, I'm just coming from a place come of to you and like you guys were at the cellar the same night, and he was like, "You know what? You're crushing it. Come on tour with me." Or did? Oh, was it was his- it was an email, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he emailed you like, "I'm digging what you're what you're putting down. Come on the road with me." Well, I mean, if the first one that that was the other thing was that it was initially just for a date. It was just for like one date, and so I came and you know did the shows and everything with also Vince August who does like warm up for a daily show and everything. And so we were all chilling. And then I did that and wasn't, you know, necessarily expecting uh, anything else to come of it. And then, you know, he hit me with the rest of the dates for the, for the year. And so I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I think that that's also just a thing of, you know, Trevor's someone who very much loves comedy, very much loves um, working and giving people opportunities. Like he's a person that has worked very hard to give lots of people opportunities and everything. So he's been definitely someone who I've tried to model some of my approach after in that this is the way that you help your peers. And this is the way that you take that next generation of comics and help them as they try to build their own platform and everything. He, he exists Kind of at like a level above comedy because he's funny as shit and he'll do these daily show things that are brilliant. And you're like, oh, yeah, like that is like the right way to like look at it. Mm -hmm. And yet, like my kid is reading his book in school. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) I'm like, wait, wait, what? We're getting Trevor Noah's book for like, yes, we're all reading the Trevor. Like, wow. Yeah, it, it it does feel like like watching him work feels like three different people that 
got put together. Because mm. to be reading someone's book in school, that's usually not a very interesting person. <laughs> when you're re- like when you're reading someone's book in school, it's usually someone who someone a long time ago was like, oh, let's put Emily Dickinson. And then you're reading Emily Dickinson. And you're like, yo, she never left the house. Like, what is she talking about? Right. So then to have someone's book that is amazing and well-written, but then to also know that they're on on TV delivering a lot of truly, like, great commentary, but then also that they're a stand-up that's constantly working on new stuff. It's like It does feel like lots of different people all put into one person and everything. But I think that, you know, it's, it's a testament to how, how his mind works and how hard he works and everything. And so that's also something that I've been – what been a, being able to work closely with him, I've, I've definitely patterned my next steps sort of after that a bit that you don't have to just be one thing, you know, to be multiple things so that you can mm-hmm, hit different people different ways. Yeah. One of the things you, you were talking about three things a woman can expect from a man. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Uh, what are they? Okay. So the, as I've put it in the bit, it's a good dick, <laughs> good person, and got his shit together. And it's like, you're going to have to pick two of those three. <laughs> you can't get three. You can't get all three. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. Come on. What do you? Who do you think you're dealing with Either. to expect all three? <laughs> you know? Like, like, I just feel like this approach both takes a... A, a realistic look at dating and then it takes some of the expectation out of like, I feel like what kills a lot of dating is expectation. So wait, so if he's, he could be, if he's, he could be a good person mm-hmm. and got his shit together, but he's bad in bed. Are you yeah. going to accept that ladies? Like, <laughs> I mean, be it, good in bed, good person. His life is a wreck. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, if you want, you got to pick your two. You got to pick what <laughs> works for you. How can you be a bad person, but your life is together? <laughs> how can- <laughs> oh, you've, you've clearly never met a billionaire. <laughs> I'm not saying they're all bad people. I'm just saying, like, that's, <laughs> that's oh, probably how. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Touche. You know? Touche. Good one. Good one. So, wait, do you – that's brilliant. So, do you do this – for the other direction, like the three things that we can expect from them, from women? I'm still working on what that is, like like the best construction. Because what a lot of people will do in their special or in a body of work is put those things together. You know, like here's the three things and here's the three things. Whereas I think that for me, I was more of a mind to wait until it's absolutely perfect and then put it in with a chunk of other dating jokes that make it make sense, you know, because I think that timing is a really important thing. And I think, I also think that the evolution of jokes is something that gets left behind. So one of the things that people believe about George Carlin is that he wrote a new hour every year and, you know, threw everything away. And that's not wholly true. Some of the nuggets that became bigger bits in later hours were throwaway lines from an hour from years ago. Mm. So he never necessarily just let go of everything and just scrapped it. Like, And maybe he said that, but I feel like a lot of that's been said for him. I feel like George Carlin is almost – George Carlin and Richard Pryor are kind of these like 
evil Knievels of comedy where their accolades and, and everything is so big around them that some of it starts to become like slightly mythical and sure. not necessarily part of their process. Sure. And I think that that's one thing that even in reading Carlin's books, I realized where I was like, oh, my man started working on this bit five years ago. And then it became this iconic thing. But then a nugget of it was in an album that's, you know, obviously albums aren't special, so it probably wasn't listened to that much. But the first little nugget of that is here, and the rest of it is here. And so I'm working for a day where I have the completely rounded out other side of the joke, and it goes well with something else. So that way, when you look back at the body of work and a catalog, you can be like, oh, he did this one, and he did this one, which is which is the benefit of what like even YouTube has given us is that mm. now you don't have to like search back. I remember before people really were putting. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Stuff on YouTube and you just had HBO, your chances of like nailing down who had what bit were very slim. Mm. You had to wait for it to come on HBO and you had to watch the whole thing and you had to remember it. And then you had to wait longer. And then now that everything is on demand in that way, you can couple things together that people probably wouldn't have even thought were related because they have so much time apart from each other. What's the best thing you ever wrote? It's a good question. Whatever I tell you now, I'll regret <laughs> later. Like like in the in the car all the way home, I'm gonna be like, that wasn't it. Yeah, you know I mean, I, I think that this this special that's going to be coming out, we're editing right now, so my latest special feels to me probably one of the most personal and one of the best crafted hours that I've done. Okay. Um, so I've, I've been working on a lot of stuff, and I think that that thing, though, still sticks out to me as something that 
was very special to me that I I wrote on that I I really toiled with okay. um, because it you know it, it's it's personal to me especially it's more personal than I've been in other specials because it it came from uh, an hour of therapy that I did oh wow and then I basically blew up that hour and constructed jokes around the subject matter of what I was talking about okay and so you'll you, you see that displayed in the, oh. in the hour. Um, Can you say what the inciting incident is? I mean, there's a few. So okay. it's like it's like that's the other thing that I think is so important, especially around both mental health and specifically black mental health when it comes to therapy, is that I think that when people talk about therapy, they think that there has to be, in order for it to truly be therapy and be real, that there has to be some major breakthrough and there has to be some major trauma. And honestly, therapy is a place to vent. It's a place to be petty. It's a pl- it's a place that like is is uh, both open and safer than I think we allow it to be in our minds. So that's one of the reasons people don't even want to go to therapy because they're like, no, I don't have some big like nobody did anything to me. I'm fine. They're clearly not fine. <laughs> They're like high strung because maybe work is stressing them out, their partner stressing them, what, whatever the thing is, right? But then therapy is a place they can go to be like, and hey, you won't believe. <laughs> and I honestly think it's one of the reasons why, at least socially, at least like but socially. But is there a thing that happened to you that you're building this off of? There, there are a couple things. So like one of, the, one of the, the things that I talk about in the special is uh, when I was being stalked. Oh well. Um and and what that experience was was like and then there are other parts of it where I talk about how I grew up um and like some of the I mean you could you could call them I I wouldn't want to misrepresent all of them by calling them traumas but just there the the bumps and bruises you get as a as a condition of being a person growing up are going to affect people. You know, and I like I've even said in other bits before, not in this special, but maybe in a future one that like dudes, especially just as guys spend sometimes unchecked. If we left, if we leave it unchecked, maybe like the last 50 years of our life still trying to sort out the first 15, (laughs) you know, as as a, a black comic right now. And you're like, I'm doing a personal, revelational hour. Is it, does it, does it change your world? Does it put more pressure on you when someone like Gerard comes out and does an hour where he's like, hey, you've known me for years. I'm actually gay. Mm -hmm. And there's other major personal revelations that I'm dropping in this hour special that people are like, that was amazing mm-hmm. aside from you coming out mm-hmm. but that was also like holy shit mm-hmm. like you just you know and every you know people were flipping out over that and like sure, you're like sure. i'm coming several months after mm-hmm. i'm in kind of the same lane we have we share a lot of fans mm-hmm. doing a personal thing yeah yeah i mean i think that it would be a bit there's two things that i think would be a bit delusional of me and one of them would be to to work from any place of uh, deep comparison because we're two totally different people that sure. are that are going to tell the audiences very different things, you know. So I think that if anything, what he's done and 
you know, the best way I can describe it is, uh, is this is a walk. So just roll with me for a second. Okay. But the best way I can describe my feelings to answer your question is uh, in MMA, there's a <laughs> champion named Israel Adesanya, right? Oh, this is real. Okay. This is real. I don't know this yeah. at all. Okay. So the, the, <laughs> the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, is a Nigerian uh, New Zealander, right? And he was asked in an interview because now for the for the first time, and we're saying now, but I guess like two years ago starting, um, there are three Africans as champions. Oh shit! Right. Okay. So the heavyweight champion is Francis Ngannou, who's uh, Cameroon. Um, the welterweight champion is Kamara Usman, who is uh, Nigerian, and Izzy, who's like Nigerian New Zealand, right? So. Izzy was asked, hey, would you ever, because your weight classes are close enough, would you ever want to have a super fight with Kamaru so you could try to get two belts and be the first African champ with two belts? And he said, I'm not going to fight him. I have no plans to fight him because I would rather have two African champions than one African champion with two belts. I would rather have Gerard tell his story and be vulnerable and open up a lane for people that are coming at things the way he is and see the world the way that he does and then do my thing with people who maybe even if we share fans, I think that's great. But I think that I have both different comedic takes and I think I have a, a different understanding of myself um, coming from a totally different place than he is. So even though the things may seem like they cross over to people who are just on the outside looking in, and even though the timing of it may seem too close for whoever, I think that we're talking about a lot of different things and we're doing something that I think is important to have done. And it's better that more people do it rather than just have one person do it brilliantly. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so I, I I see where the question comes from, but I personally think that you know, and and you, I'd love to have a conversation with you after it comes out. But I I think that there's specials that are so different that when you actually watch both of them, they don't cross over in that I mean, way. His special, I haven't seen yours yet. His special, it barely seemed like comedy. It barely seemed like a special. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just sitting here talking and people in the audience are yelling shit out and I'm responding to that and I'm just talking. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really even that funny, but it was compelling as fuck. Mm -hmm. There were moments that were funny, but it was really compelling. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I heard about it before I heard it. So it was kind of like, wait, there's like bombs going off on social media about this. and Twitter's freaking out. And I'm like, what what did he say? Yeah. You know, people, congratulations to Gerard. I'm like, what did he say? Yeah, and you're yeah, like, congratulations. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, well now, okay. Well, now I see. Okay. So are you the best comic you've ever been? I think I am now. I think, I think when I, I've always, even in our last conversation, been obsessed with and been working towards like a real tapestry of, of a catalog to look back on. On, in audio, in specials, in bodies of work, in late night, in everything that I make. And so I think that I'm much better than I was the last time that we chatted. And I hope, much to, be, better. hope to be better, you know, when we, when we speak again. I, I think, like, even the – I have a <laughs> – I try to do things that I think are different. So that way, once again, to your point about ideas, 
every idea I have, it's not going to be great, no. you know, but I think that I'm doing things differently enough that I, I bring something new that people can enjoy. So um, later on in August, we're going to have the podcast album come out. Okay. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people with podcasts, but I don't know too many people making albums out of the best parts of the podcast <laughs> per volume per year. Means podcast so basically, you know, because we tell so many stories, it's going to be a collection of the stories that we tell by okay. track. Okay. And it's a way to catalog for ourselves and for the fans and for potentially new fans. Here's what we do, right? See, that's what I want mm-hmm. from you going forward too. Because to me, the big thing for comics is to tell me a great story. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on and on. And think about Gary Goldman and Trader Joe's. Think yeah. about, you know, Chappelle with OJ. Like, for, like you know, Eddie Murphy at the barbecue, right? And stories about nothing, but it's amazing. I see yeah. it. I've lived it. Like, you know, what, you know, your, your cousin's on fire. Like, yeah. Tell me, you know, Aunt Bunny's falling down the stairs. I mean, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Tell me, like, a ten-minute story. Yeah. Right. Who's the fucking guy? You know, I'm in the future too. Right. With the, like, yeah. Tell me a fucking story that I'm like, yo, and Josh fucking talked like, and then and then and then and then and, and yeah, and it builds out. That's for sure. the shit that fucking because yeah. I'm like, you come up with. Five brief jokes, mm-hmm. but a whole freaking story. Yeah, yeah, strung together in a way that that is engaging. And also, I think that uh, what's what's the best way to put it? I feel like if I'm, because it's like got to have a character. Yeah. So now we're really like pulling. I think about Bernie Mac and getting mm-hmm. bossed around by the little gay kid and his family, and like, like, what is happening? How are you? And yeah. I'm like, there's fucking characters happening there's a story happening i'm i see it i'm in it with you i you know and like that like you can't tell me a joke twice but you tell me a story over and over sure sure and that that's the thing that i think is extra special is that even when people write into the podcast they tell us that they've listened to the episodes twice through like just over and over again. And so that's one of the things that I'm also, one of the reasons that I, I put the album together is because I was like, so here are some of my favorites. So maybe these are some things that even if you don't, because I understand if you don't know me and then I try to hang out with you for an hour via a podcast, that could be a lot. <laughs> so give me five minutes of your time. Give me 10 minutes of your time. Here's a track. Just listen to the track. This is what we do. Come, come listen every week, you know? Uh, because it, it ranges. So some of it is like stuff from childhood. Some of it's more recent. Like in the one of the tracks is about how when I moved to New York, and I, I think it was the first date that I had when I was in New York, and my identity got stolen. And so I get a call because this is back when they still called you if there was a problem with your card. So she goes to the bathroom. I get a call on my phone and they're like, hi, this is Chase. Um, Did you get, and it was the most obscure purchase too. It was like, have you bought some like ski equipment in Arizona? And I'm like, no, I'm in New York. And then she's like, well, unfortunately that means that your card has been compromised. We're gonna have to cut. And I immediately cut her off. I was like, ma'am, I'm on a date right now. (laughs) It is going fine. All right. I don't know if she's the one, but please don't do this to me. Right now. And she was like, well, you've already confirmed. Like, I can't let, like, you know, 
fraudulent charges go on. You've already confirmed that you're not in there. I was like, ma'am, please, please, just please, please. Yes, yeah, just give me 20 minutes. Just let me get dessert <laughs> and then you can cut it off, right? And so it's like things like that is what we end up talking about on the podcast. And it's, it's part of what's going to be on the album and everything. And I found that the tapestry of how it works is that these are great stories that I wouldn't always do on stage. So, cause I've even had people ask me, they're like, the stories in the podcast are so fun. Why don't you do those in your standup? And to me, it's like, there's a place for everything. And so I think that when a joke is just, when a, when a story, I mean, is just riddled with jokes and there's just opportunity to pull more jokes, more jokes, more jokes, then obviously we're going to take that to the stage and we're going to do it with standup and we're going to form it over the course of a tour and, you know, in as part of an hour. But I think when something's just like abnormal and funny and fun, I can just tell my friend and his laugh is enough. <laughs> and then we share it with people. You like the, the I'm working on this joke part and like, I'm still like testing out like right mm-hmm. words, right callback, the right pacing. And you know, I'm still playing with it. Or like when you get to like, okay, this joke is done. Mm-hmm. And it is the best it could be, and it is calcified, and I will always do this. Is like which side of that coin do you like better? Um, I mean, I think that I enjoy tinkering, mm. but once once it feels right, and this is this may not even be a great trait, but once it feels right, I like I have a hard time editing. You know, mm-hmm. like like I I think that it's one of the reasons that I am only now thinking about working on a book is that it's like, I will chip away at something with so much care and attention that by the time someone else comes along and it's like, well, if you change that, a part of me is like, what if you left me alone? Do you know what I mean? Now they might be right. That's the worst part is that sometimes they're right. So then I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and change it. And I've, especially as I got older and more mature, I would, I was, more not only receptive but in search of notes from my peers on on mm-hmm. any of my work right mm-hmm. because now i'm like okay i've been with this too long right so right, i right, have a right. joke that i love right i love it so much but then my friend is like it doesn't quite make sense the way you think it does because you've been working with it so long <laughs> oh that's so a tough place you need to change this part or you need to explain this before you go into the rest of it and so a part of me is that used to be combative in my mind towards it is now fully receptive. I just, I just know that about myself that it's something I've been working on. So I love to tinker. And then there's no – the two feelings that you're not going to be able to beat are when you try a new thing, completely new, fresh, mm-hmm. just raw, mm-hmm. thinking it out in front of people, and it works. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wow, I might be a genius. <laughs> I think – I think you can give me all the money now. I think that I'm <laughs> I'm brilliant. Yeah. The and game. then when you've been tinkering and you say it wrong and people don't like you and it and it's the worst part about your set cuz then it makes it makes people like they were enjoying you and then you said it and it starts going downhill and then you finally get it right because now it's like vindicating all those moments that you had to sacrifice in sets prior to now have this nugget. You know, that's what um Chris Rock talked about where a bunch of the bits from Bigger and Blacker weren't working and he had to really tinker with them. And then now they became like huge pillars and one of the best specials ever made. But imagine if 
the whole year you're tinkering with all the jokes before that, it's just up and down. And mm. and, there, and not just like up and down, but there are people that are like, I used to like you. <laughs> it's like some people are genuinely too afraid to go through that thing. So that actually does, to, to your point about am I better than before, it's like sometimes that fear keeps you at the same place because you're like, all right, people like my jokes about dogs, so I'm just going to keep making jokes about dogs, and, like, I know dogs is safe. I'm never going to lose dogs. But you got to be willing yeah. to fail in order to grow. That's what you're saying. In order yeah, to get that like, bit right, you got to be willing to fail at it, like, deeply. Like, like fail so hard that you're like, maybe I should have been a doctor. <laughs> like, like, like you. sometimes you feel that way before you go up because you're like, ah, and then you are in it, and you're like, no, my mom was right. My mom was, I should have Been stuck with the, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, no, it's all part of it. But I think that those those things are what I'm enjoying most now is like, even in, even as I'm chipping away at, you know, get more stuff, like more stuff. Because once, once your hour is being edited, you're already kind of in a mode of like, all right, I need new stuff. Because, Last time I saw you, I you think know. you said your parents are, eh, about all this. No, no, no. Everyone's very supportive now. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't. I think I think when I was at Trader Joe's, they were like, what is Hey, that? just look. <laughs> keep it. Just Come keep on. just keep at least one day a week so that you don't lose the job. <laughs> you know? But no, everyone everyone's now, very supportive. Now that you're now that you've arrived, they're like, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, it would be hard not to now. Like like that like now is like I'm clearly not making this up. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know, my mom, my aunt, uh, and my girlfriend got to come to MSG when I was opening for Trevor. And it was like, all right, now you know that this isn't like a hobby. <laughs> this is clearly working out. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm at MSG. It's going well, you know? <laughs> now, I know the people at MSG didn't know I was coming. But you. <laughs> but you did. You did. <laughs> and Trevor I did. Yeah. I wasn't making it up, you know? <laughs> So it, that, those are those are uh, things that I look forward to of like kind of I don't know what what's the best way to put it I'm like I'm excited to continue <laughs> to what, what, how do I put this because I don't want to make it sound like they weren't supportive at all they're very supportive people but I'm excited to once again just do things that I'm like you see. <laughs> You see, you see how it's, and then all the stuff is to prove you know, them right. Yeah, prove them very right. That's that's how that's the most diplomatic way to. You were but, right to support me all those years. Yeah, yeah. Because because don't be wrong. Very supportive in in artist. Very in, very in supportive and loving. But I think at the first year, and to be fair, the first year I also wasn't good. Nobody's so, good so the first year. So the first year, why would you believe? <laughs> that would actually concern me if, if I called them up. I was like, hey, I've quit everything. I've st-. They're like, all right, you do you. I'm like, oof, you're not going to give me any pushback. Because that's not even a good origin story now. Like now, in the movie of your career, imagine you call and then your mom's like, yeah, do you. Well, well done. Go for it. That's a terrible scene. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care who you get to play. It could be Viola Davis, and you'd be like, "Yeah, why would they even include this? She clearly supports him <laughs> in all his endeavors." 
Right, but that's the story of Kanye. Yeah, yeah. Right? His yeah. mom was his biggest cheerleader. Even when nobody else believed, his mom was like, you can do anything. But what makes his story compelling is that his mom believed and no one else did. So now he had to fight the world. Right. And he got where he is. So now you're like, yeah, no, let me, I mean, the, even the documentary, I'm almost done with it. The documentary is incredible because it, it's it's a reminder as well. Like it, it gives, I think, a lot of creators to the point you were talking about before. It gives a lot of creators hope because my man is playing all falls down at the at the, he's there, and they already work with him because they like his beats, and they're still like, <sighs> it's the, it, it's the guy on the street who tells him, "Dog, you're not a Rockefeller guy." Mm-hmm. If he's playing that at Tommy Boy, they're like, how fast can we get this out? Mm-hmm. Rockefeller was the hard street label. They're like, he's a corny college suburban boy. We don't even fuck with kids. Like, We would rob him. Why are we talking to him? Hey. And it was only Dame who was like, actually, I think this could work. Mm-hmm. Right? But he did not. He never fit the Rockefeller vibe. But mm-hmm. if he'd gone over to... A raucous, maybe even a Def Jam. They might have been like, "Oh, we could make this work." Mm, mm. That makes sense. Please, yeah. But I also think that Mm. that, yeah, that that uh, that sort of accuracy and timing is very important because sometimes you think you're at your place Mm. and you're not. So it's like I'm, I'm very very blessed that things have worked out better than I could have designed, if that makes sense. Beautiful. Because there are things that I wanted, and I wanted them when I wanted them. And looking back, if I got them, I wouldn't be where I am now. I'd just be the dude with that thing that I wanted, <laughs> you know? And now I'm like, oh, wow, let me not, let, let me make plans, and let me craft and everything, but let me not be too rigid about any which direction I get pulled or taken, because that there's a... There's a better design than you can come up with for all your creativity. Thank you so much to Josh for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, 
Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.